Hey guys, uh, I'm back with another podcast episode. I was uh, I was really excited when I had this idea, when I thought of this idea for today's uh, episode. And then I heard the Chris Rock jokes on the radio about him getting slapped by Will Smith. And I thought those were uh, so funny, <laughs> you know, because it happened like a year ago. I don't remember the jokes, man. You know, he's like, I can still feel it. You know, it was a year ago. It's funny. You should uh, check that out if you haven't. Um, So I was real excited about this topic because I think, but it's a personal one, I guess. It's like like I personally like it. So I'm not sure if if it's good listening content. And it's, well... It's one that's kind of near and dear to my heart. When I first played Dungeons and Dragons, uh, when I was a kid, when I was 12, I remember I was obviously brand new, but I stumbled on my friend's miniatures and then the character sheets and then, of course, the books with all the cool pictures. And he kind of explained it to me a little bit, and we um, that's how I kind of got started, just a group of three of us. And uh, that group split up, and... A few years later, my teens, early 20s, I played 3.5. And, of course, I had friends that were you know, kind of into it, a little ashamed, not ashamed, but nervous maybe uh, about playing the tabletop uh, game. They, they yeah, I had friends that come and just watch the games that they would have at the local comic book shop. And, you know, sometimes those guys are really good, man. It's, you know, you don't want to sit down at the table. So... The idea is cool. The pictures are cool. You 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 like the the game itself, but it's nervous to get started. So, needless to say, I had a lot of friends that played the the video game versions. Um, Troika's Temple of Elemental Evil, uh, the Pools of Radiance, you know, Baldur's Gate, Icewindale, all, all those ones. And through that experience of seeing both both worlds I I had a lot of the books lying around so anytime I wanted to play one of these computer games or make a guy I already had all the knowledge and I had all the books and I was able to easily roll one up and and get right into the game when I got a little older and DDO came out I hadn't played uh, in a couple of years and I was stuck reading the novels or whatever I could get my hands on. Um, I would buy books, actually, every so often, hoping that I could maybe start a new group. And I stumbled upon this game, DDO, quite by accident. And I remember being shocked that it was set in Eberron and wondering, what is Eberron? I bought the game, downloaded it, and um, I played it at a very low frame rate on a computer that probably couldn't handle it and immediately went out and bought a computer that could handle it uh, the next week. And the other thing I bought was the the first thing I bought was the novels written by Keith Baker and then the campaign setting for 3.5 rule set. That was the current rule set. And I began reading, and I, the artwork I got, I forget the 
artist's name, but I have a bunch of his stuff. He's great art. Art. I think he does art for Pathfinder now. But it's very, um, very updated and cool. I liked it. It was uh, had a lot of different stuff in it. I it was fond of Forgotten Realms, you know. But um, I think I could, I could get into this right. So I'd already kind of rolled up a character, but I really wanted to, um, really wanted to make my guy. So I, I, I got the campaign and I looked through all the, the you know, the maps and, you know, I, I made his little backstory and, with how he was going to land on that ship in Stormreach and meet Euphonia, and, and off I went. Right, I, off I went on my journey. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Those first few. Uh, those first few days that, uh, first few months maybe, that DDO was open, the uh, the voice chat was filled with people role-playing their dwarves, <laughs> and it was um, very entertaining, it was, it was quite a lot of fun. It's quite the opener for not really getting into the today's topic, or, or am I talking about today's topic, but not actually mentioning it. I think... That is, that is the point of the whole intro, is that it's neat. The story is kind of fun, and the story is, is kind of natural for us to, to want to know what happens next. And how I approach character building, and how I approached it in DDO, um, and this worked for me, this actually worked, I had great success, it led me to great video game success at DDO when it, when DDO first came out um, I was attentive to the numbers and the rule sets but I was very very hyper focused on on making sure that the numbers represented the character and that the character could match the numbers if um, you know if I quested long enough although the entire point of making the character is not in DDO, there's a lot of foreknowledge and whatnot. And this this podcast is geared towards newer players. Veterans are welcome to listen. But the veterans will naturally disagree with some of the things I'm going to say just because you're, like in life, your perception changes as you as you age with a game. So when, when you approach Dungeons & Dragons online and it's not your first MMO, it's not your first foray into video gaming. It's important to know that the Turbine, Standing Stone Games, are very passionate about Dungeons and Dragons. And this is foremost a Dungeons and Dragons game. It's highly customizable and it's a lot of replayability. A lot of years worth of replayability. And tons of content. So What I say that SSG is Standing Stone Games is a passionate, dedicated Dungeons and Dragons fans. I mean to, I mean to go further down that rabbit hole and suggest that before you make your character, before you decide what you're going to play, is open the Google machine. And you you don't have to you don't have to pay the forty bucks like I did for the hardcover 
Eberron campaign setting. But I would, I would highly recommend finding out a little bit about Stormreach and Google Stormreach, and then that's where I would start. There is Evening Star. If you pay some money, the VIP fee, you could start. You could start an Evening Star. Evening Star, geez, I don't think it's Greyhawk. It's still Forgotten Realms. If, yeah, that's Ed Greenwood. Yep. So Evening Star is 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 still Ed, it's still Forgotten Realms. So you could potentially start in Forgotten Realms, but you would have to choose an iconic race. So you would start at level fifteen. I I don't recommend that. Um, I don't recommend the iconics to a new player. But I, I do recommend looking up Stormreach and finding out a little bit about the story you're about to involve your character in. Because the essence of Dungeons & Dragons is just that. It's crafting a character from the fabric of that world and then accompanying him on his journey. You could say you become this character, you pilot this character, you uh, you sort of manage him like a like a god, or you he's more like a Sims character from a Sims game. Either way, he's going to be your literary creation first. It's something that you're going to you're going to give purpose to, and the numbers and the systems in Dungeons and Dragons are there to allow you to express that character and his literary traits in, I don't want to say the physical realm, but in a simulated realm. So that's what the numbers are there for. So the, the importance of the lore, and this is if you're a veteran player and you, I'd be, I'd be very interested to know who knows this. But in Stormreach, Stormreach is in Zendrick. That is the called the Lost Continent. It's um, m mostly unexplored. It's uh, the land of the giants, I think, is their giant empire. And it's full of dark magic and unsettling things. You know, there are the Volcorum and the, the, all kinds of deadly things in Zendrick. Stormreach is this kind of bastion city that is... Uh, turned into a great business for the Dragonmarked Houses. Dragonmarked Houses are, are are special family lineages lineages and they they carry the blood of Sybaris or kind of a heavenly blood I guess you'd say really the blood of the first dragon the good dragon either way the Dragonmarked Houses trace their legend back to the creation myth, is what I mean to say. So that they are almost more ancient than the religions that inhabit Corvair and Eberron as a whole. But the Dragonmarked Houses, they're all very business-minded, and they're all very interested in making money. So Zendrick and recovering these lost artifacts in Zendrick is the 
is their main focus is uncovering knowledge and somehow turning a profit so here's a little lore fact I bet you don't know veteran players we have resurrection in resurrection spells in Stormreach in Dungeons and Dragons Online you can if you're a cleric you can resurrect someone right here's an interesting tidbit in Eberron uh, Keith Baker has said that the there is no resurrection spells they're not in use in Corvair itself they conted the main continent that's like uh, North America or or Eastern Europe to think of it like that it's a highly populated lot of history well-developed first world countries are there in Corvair and in Corvair Silver Flame the Sovereign Host those are two religions you have the House Jurasco which bear the mark the dragon mark of healing and they can also resurrect so the Sovereign Host could and there are other religions the elves are there they have religions and the, the elves have their own land, but the, I guess what I mean to say is it's populated by all pe peoples in many different religions. But the two, well, most well-known, widely accepted and used are the Sovereign Host and the Silver Flame. The Silver Flame does not cast resurrection spells on Corvair. They don't permit it. House Jurasco was resurrecting people for a fee until something went horribly wrong. We have the Silver Flame Church in Zedric, in Stormreach. You'll encounter Silver Flame priests. You can become a Silver Flame priest, and they all resurrect. They'll bind your soul to the tavern. They can heal you. The Silver Flame in Stormreach is a heretical branch of believers known as the Puritans, I think. And they are not part of the Silver Flame in Corvair. And it's due to their, their resurrection, their use of the resurrection spell. So fun fact, <laughs> fun roleplay fact, if you like clerics, priests, or anything connected, paladins, is you could potentially roll a paladin and be heretical. Maybe you, you would still have to be a lawful good because that's the only way to become a paladin in DDO right now. But you could still role play and develop a character that is, um, while a paladin and bearing all a paladin's outward abilities, is actually evil and excommunicated. And you could play him that way. So what? How how does that work? What what does that really mean? Well, if if I mean, I'm just spitballing here, so forgive me if if this doesn't come out so smooth. But I want it to be as organic as possible because that's how your character creation should be in DDO. At least your first couple of characters should be like this. You should have develop some base knowledge of the lore 
and you should riff or think of several different cool ideas that you think would be fun to represent in a given character and we could definitely get into you know the the flaws a character should have and the goals and the wants and the needs and the ghost and the lie and we could talk about how to actually develop a literary character but I don't think we're really doing that here right we're developing a character that we're going to simulate life with by playing a video game or a tabletop game so that being said you can only do so much before the dungeon master takes control case in point let's get back to our I would hate to say apostate paladin but let's call him a heretical paladin so he's a heretical paladin that's interesting does he know that right away does he find that out does he try to leave Zendrick go to Sharn and he's turned away does he get a letter from a friend letting him know that his whole paladin brigade his whole unit has been marked as heretical and they've been stripped of their titles and possessions and they are now no longer allowed to be in the barracks at, at the Silver Flame and the, there's a party coming to, to clean you out. Does he go on the run? So he's a paladin. He's a paladin on Zenric, the Lost Continent. And he finds out he's excommunicated. That's all we got so far. So we're going to play a paladin. Okay, cool. Now, you don't have to play a paladin. You could, you could think of something else. How about this? Your guy is just a... He's religious. A religious fella. For whatever reason. Maybe his parents died. Maybe his kids died. Maybe he lost everything in the last war and the only thing he has left is his faith in the silver flame. Maybe his grandfather was once high up in the silver flame priesthood or maybe his grandmother. But he's a religious guy. And he's because he's lost everything, he's decided to take to take his skills and sell them across the continent where nothing reminds him of any of the pains and sorrows that he carries with him in his heart and in his mind. He tries to hide them away and he surrounds himself in this new strange world. He loves tracking the wilderness. It's something he's grown up with. Maybe he's from Bree, Breland. He's a Brelish ranger, maybe, from the last war. And he's a devout Silver Flame follower. Maybe he finds out that, hey, this place has uh, been excommunicated and you can't come here anymore. You can't stay here anymore. You can't visit us here. Maybe he wants to find out 
what what's going on in Sharn. So baby, Sharn's a long way away for him. He's only he's only been in Stormreach a few months. He doesn't have any money to get back. There's no address for him to get mail where he is and in his state. So maybe he has to work his way back to Sharn. That's possible now in Dungeons and Dragons Online. You can go to Sharn. That's a that's pretty cool. So maybe he's a ranger. Maybe he's a ranger that lost everything. And then after seeing his friends at the Silver Flame, just arbitrarily to him, excommunicated, now he's lost his faith too. And he just has to know why. He has to know why. So, so he begins his journey. He's, he's got some skills. He's, he knows how to track. He knows how to find things. He's careful. So, this dark hunter begins plying his trade around Stormreach and further as much as he can to get money to get back to Sharn. And at this point, you would have to settle on a class at some point, so we settle on Dark Hunter. So he's from Breland. Breland's are mostly human, but he doesn't have to be. Human is a good choice if you are a new player and you're free to play. They get an extra feat. They have good racial enhancement trees, a very easy low-hanging fruit, of 20% healing, which is good. Those thoughts that I just gave you, meta thoughts, are from someone who has played the game before. As a new player, I don't recommend you think like that. But suffice it to say that there are pros and cons to every choice you make, and every single choice you make in DDO is the right one. And I mean that in a general sense. So if you're, and here is a reason, here is a, here is a good example of when it would not be a smart choice. You roll a strength barbarian and you put all of your, all of your ability points into, into intelligence. That would be a wrong choice. <laughs> so when I say you can't make a, a wrong choice, what I mean is the, once you've established some reasonable base of lore. It doesn't have to be much. All I, all the, the only thing we really went off of here was the fact that the Silver Flame in Stormreach is totally heretical and excommunicated from the Silver Flame on Corvair, which is where most people, right, where most people reside. So, with just that one idea, we were able to come up with a couple of backstories for two different classes and really two different people. I would highly recommend that that's how you start thinking of DDO and thinking of your first character. Because I promise you, it's, it's a better, especially in the beginning here, because you only get to do DDO once. It's, it's better... To go in and make those choices. Well, he's human. Okay, he's human. Well, no, he's he's half elf. Okay, great, he's half elf. 
why is he half elf? Well, you know, his mother was this. And, okay. Maybe we don't even have to get into that. He's just half elf. Okay. He's half elf. He's half elf. He's from Breland and half elves are from Breland. Okay. I mean, you've got enough there to start, right? He's a, he's a dark hunter. He was a ranger in the last war for Breland. So maybe he's seen some combat. He's lost everything. He's now lost his faith. And he needs to find a way to make things right in his head, make things right in the world. So he, he's now kind of on a quest for a piece of the truth. Back to Sharn and find out why his friends were excommunicated. Maybe it just starts there. Maybe that's what he thinks he wants. But now you've got a character. And you've got a little bit of a backstory. And that's all you need. That's it. So you make him a ranger. Now, you'll have some choices you'll need to make now. And you'll have to figure out what best represents him in your mind. So, maybe he's a half-elf, but in your mind, he's on steroids, right? He just works out all the time because... He's always busy, and he just always keeps his mind busy because he lost his family. He's haunted by war and the trauma that that caused, and now he's haunted by his friend's religious and potentially spiritual fate. So maybe he's really strong. So you, you decide, well, I'm going to make him strength-based. He's going to... He's going to be strong. So now you have, through story, through your own creation of the character, your own character design, you've decided what his stats were. And in Dungeons Dragons, the tabletop game, sometimes you roll for the dice. There's a many different ways you can assign ability points. You can roll, you do many things. But a point-by system is pretty traditional, even in tabletop games, especially now with the advent of the D20 and the online formats where you can play tabletop. So you want to familiarize yourself with, with what the stats do because they are now going to represent your character. So once you've settled on that, you want to think, geez, I wonder what his name is. You always want to be thinking of his name. Sometimes the name comes first, sometimes it comes last. Sometimes it doesn't come. Sometimes he's just a stranger, right? So, you decide that he's going to be strength-based. And so I'd, I'd, I'd recommend just looking up, going to the DDO wiki, or any type of Google machine, and finding out what the stats are what they do and there's going you're going to find a basic two paragraph one paragraph explanation on maybe each particular stat you don't have to read it you don't have to google it you don't need to know you could you could google a build right you could google i want a strength based dark hunter build the best one you could do that. But I would advise you not to do that. I would I'd highly recommend you trust yourself. You're not going to make mistakes here. And you're not the first guy to, to make a Dungeons & Dragons character and make him awesome. Make him able to solo raids. You're not the first guy to do that. 
and you won't be the first guy to make a guy that's kind of okay. He got to the end of the game. Man, he was fun. But I think I can do better. Okay? So that's okay, too. There's, so there's no wrong choice here. It's just how much fun you're going to have. And I, that's kind of what I want to stress. DDO is the only game, only MMO, you can take this approach to character creation. Where you can, I can suggest to you what I'm suggesting now, which is just familiarize yourself with the 3.5 rule set. Slowly, find out about the planet of Eberron first. You know, start there. Who is Sybaris? What is Kyra? Just start there, just read a little bit about it, see what you like. And then imagine yourself there. That's all I'm saying. Try that. Imagine a character there. Imagine your favorite uncle there, your best friend. Maybe your worst enemy. And then start there and build yourself. Build yourself into the world. That's your character. This is your space. This game is for you. These rules are for you. This is for you to help you enjoy that character's lifespan. So with a strength-based ranger and a ranger to boot, I know a few things ahead of time. I know you're going to have a 28 points to build. And you're going to have to, while this is not a tabletop experience, and the loot and some of the other things are not tabletop oriented, a 28 point build stat, statted character, his stats are very closely related, or if not exactly what a tabletop character stats would be. They, um, SSG does a few things to mitigate your instant death <laughs> as a level one character. So don't, don't worry about getting any of your stats too wrong, but you want to place them as correctly as you can. And with, with this particular Dark Hunter, he's strong. So we'll probably start him with a 16 strength. That sounds good. And dexterity. Dexterity is um, representative of a man's ability to do cartwheels. Now, this guy being uh, probably fairly nimble, he's probably a, what do you say, 13, maybe a 14. And constitution. Well, his constitution is representative of his fortitude, his intestinal fortitude. I think he displays that pretty well by by putting himself in a forward land after he's lost everything. He puts himself in a very dangerous situation. He, he does it for the wrong reasons, right? Your guy is uh, this guy is there to hide from his past and hide from problems that he's not facing. He thinks he can run, but he can't. So he's definitely got fortitude, right? I mean, he not like he ran in battle and he didn't, when he had the chance, he didn't run to some tavern in Corvair and Sharn and drink himself to death. He, he, you know, he started working out and he went to this crazy, crazy continent where it's full of danger. So he's probably got a good constitution. 
I would say at least a 14, if not a 16. Definitely a 14. Maybe a 15. Maybe a 15. And now, now we're down to intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. These are, these are the metaphysical stats, right? These are the philosophical stats. Intelligence represents his ability and in some rule sets, some versions of the rule sets, a higher intelligence score would increase the amount of experience points you would get. So, it does not in DDO, so don't, don't get the wrong impression, but that's how, that's how philosophical these, uh, these stats are. He's intelligent. He must be. He's probably a 12. He's above average. He's a smart guy. Now, for his wisdom score, he's religious, but he's not a priest, right? But he's pretty close. I mean, he goes, he still went, he ran away from all these problems. He's hiding from his personal problems, but he's still attending the Silver Flame services. So he might have like a 13 or a 14 wisdom. He might. And what about charisma? Is he charismatic? Is a guy like that, are we describing a guy that's easily approachable? <laughs> it doesn't seem like it, right? I mean, it's kind of intimidating, sure, but it doesn't seem very charismatic. Maybe he's a 10, maybe 11. Maybe we even it out at 10, and if we've got an extra point, we try to round out one of the other stats. That seems about right. He's strong. That's his biggest that's his biggest stat. He's dexterous. He can move in combat. He can move around uh, in a fight. He can move around in a battlefield. So he's he's dexterous. He's strong. He's fast. He's strong. He's hardy, right? He probably has a 16 or 15 constitution. He's he's hard to take down. He keeps fighting. And he's smart. 12 intelligence. And maybe a 13 or a 14 wisdom. After all, he's motivated to return to Sharn to find out the truth of his friend's betrayal, as he sees it, by the Silver Flame. So he's loyal to his friends, and he's, he's very devoted to his religion. So I would say a 13 or 14, 14 wisdom would be very easily representative of, of that quality that he possesses. And I think we can agree that he's probably fairly intimidating. And you don't have to spend the points in charisma. You could leave it at eight. But I think he knows his way around a conversation. He just, you know, he can't tell a joke. You know, that's all. His jokes are not that funny. You're not going to go up and ask this guy for directions, right? Even though he's the perfect guy to give it to you. He's probably got that thousand-yard stare that soldiers get sometimes when they, when they just happen to go back. Daydreaming. Night, night, night dreaming. Night, nightmare daydreaming. Okay, so now we've got his stats laid out. It's time to pick his skills. Now you get to the skill screen, and boy... I don't even know how many skills there are, but when I think of it in my head, because I don't have anything in front of me, I just think there are so many. 
Now, if we're playing a Dark Hunter, the Dark Hunter has a couple of key class features that you really want to take advantage of. And we have we have we have the backstory to do it. This guy, he fought in a war, he survived great tragedy, and he's placed himself and it ended up without a deserted an I and on a continent that is devoid of civilization for the most part. So you're talking about someone that's highly motivated, very intelligent, and I wouldn't say he's brash. But someone who knows his way to survive. And that's what this guy's got, right? He just survives. He just he just does. He survived the war, he survived the loss of his family, and he survived the loss of his friend's excommunication. He just wants to find out the truth. So he probably knows how to, what do you think, pick a lock? Right? I mean, depends. What, what kind? He was a ranger in the last war. So let's, let's think about that. He's a ranger in the last war. Let's, let's get, how does, how does that guy learn how to pick locks? Well, he's a ranger, so he's probably part of a, an advanced reconnaissance unit. And because of his heritage, he's a half-elf, he probably easily blends in with any population on Corvair. So during the war, it's very possible that while he's extremely combat focused, that he also was trained in breaking and entering certain complexes, unseen, gathering information, getting past things, seeing things, studying mechanisms and, and traps. I mean, he's got the intelligence for it, above average in intelligence. And we know he's got the constitution to face the kind of daunting task it would be to learn how to pick locks or disable traps. So sure, he learned that stuff in the last war. So he can disable locks. He can disable traps. It, it lends itself that he can search and spot them as well, right? Makes sense that he would be able to notice oh hey hey hold on slow down that brick right there doesn't look right and there it is move back there's a wire here he could see that kind of stuff right so you want to have a good search in a good spot it just makes sense now when you do your googling you want to google ranger don't google dark hunter for ddo just google ranger 3.5 and try to read that player handbook the Dark Hunter has extra abilities in DDO as it's a certain archetype of a ranger and it really fits this this character that we've 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 dreamt up, right? We've created. So we're going to choose that because it seems the most practical choice that our character would be. But you should know a little bit about the original ranger and then while you're going through the menus it's okay to pay attention and read the tool tips there i'm not saying don't don't play the game blind but i'm saying that you want to have a reason why you're choosing the class skills you are
Now here's a trick. We've already decided that he can pick locks, you know, search, spot. Now we've kind of got less skill points to spend. And the next few we spend are going to be the last few. So we, we already know there's two skills on that sheet that's in front of you if you're making a character or just following along. Hide and move silently. Now these will go into your sneak. And these allow you to move around a quest or dungeon, battlefield, undetected. Or at least it allows you to attempt to be undetected. It seems to me that this guy would have some some skill in getting past the enemy. So I would recommend at this point to at least put one if we've only got two points left let's put one in hide one move silently. And you'll notice there's a modifier there it should be three probably because you have plus two dexterity and you're going to add that to your hide and move silently. Dexterity, your, your main stats are going to influence those skills. That's why it's important, I think, to build the character organically because it's very easy for it all to fall into place. And then after you put one or two points into hide and move silently, it's up to you where you want to put the last ones. Listen is a good skill. If you haven't maxed out spot and search, you definitely have to. He's got to be able to do that. That's got to be something that's just... He's a competent warrior, and he's a competent reconnaissance ranger. So it just makes sense that he would be really good at that. As far as hide and move silently, it's something he's, he's skilled at. He's got skills in it. You know, in the war, I'm sure he was given probably a cloak, maybe some maybe some boots that helped helped him along that path. He'll just have to keep an eye out. See, this is good, right? This is a much better way. This is a better, not a much better way. This is a good way to approach character creation. I don't know how many skill points you have. I don't have the math in front of me, and I'm not familiar with it off the top of my head. But I would finish out your points probably in listen. I'd put some. And in heal, probably I'd put some. I'd probably put some in tumble, maybe a couple in balance. But you don't have that many points. You're going to have to be a lot more judicious. But those are all good skills, and all good skills that you can articulate. You'll just have to decide what he's really good at. If he, we know he can hide and move silently, here's the case for listen. Here's the case for adding your points to the listen skill. He hides and moves silently, so he can sneak around. He can get around. Now, he's missing his gear from his days back in, in the Breland Army, but he knows how to do it. And the other thing he was always really good at was being very, very quiet. And because he was so quiet, it allowed him to focus his hearing, and he could hear 
people talk. He could make out words that other soldiers couldn't, other rangers couldn't make out. Just something he was good at. How would that aid you in a dungeon? Well, these are old ruins. And sometimes these old ruins fall apart. And it would be nice. It would be nice to hear that loose rock before it falls. So there are many valuable skills in DDO. And there are many ways that they're useful. So that's the case for listen. But you can, you can spread those points and use them however you want. Maybe he's good at tumbling. Tumbling is a skill that allows you to fall further and take less damage or take less falling damage. So maybe he's just really good at jumping off high ledges and, and, and not breaking his ankles. He was fast. He was silent and he was fast. And if he ran into a ledge, he just leapt. He just leapt right off the side of it. So this is, this is your character now. Now we're past the skills and we're on to the feet. You've got to select a favorite enemy. And I don't know which Dark Hunter favorite enemies there are. But maybe. I think Aberration is the first one on the list for the Dark Hunter. There's a strong case for this. The Beholder is, is a fearsome enemy. It's described on the Aberration favorite enemy as the icon itself of the Aberration. So, this thing would be something you would want to study and be wary of. So I'll leave it to you to pick the favorite enemy because the Dark Hunter gets a, a less amount and I'm not familiar with them all. But there is a strong case for each one. I promise you that. And because he's a half-elf and because he's a first-level character we need to define him a little bit more and add two more feats. Half-elves have interesting choices in DDO because in DDO they can select minor class abilities they could select a feat that kinda qualifies them for another class like um, trying to think like do you have that friend at work that's just uh, he can fix anything like he can build anything and he can fix it. Like maybe you got a friend who's good at like just fix his cars at work. Like he's great. He could be a mechanic, but he works with you, you know, at your company. Or a guy that can just, he can build anything. He just, he built a fence and a deck for the backyard. He did it in three days. Took a vacation day and did it. You ever get people like that? That's kind of like what a half-elf is in DDO. He just, he has this other thing he does on the side, and he's really good at it. <laughs> so, now, because of your stat scores, you're going to have certain ones open and certain ones closed. Now, I don't know what they are, because I didn't look them up. And, honestly, you picked half-elf, not me. I would have gone with human. So, since you've decided to go with half-elf, you're going to have to figure out which one is makes more sense for him 
And, and I don't know. I, I don't know. There's so many different classes that could be available to you. I don't know what you're seeing. I don't, I don't know. But I think we've done enough groundwork here that you know you should take a stab at, hey, how am I going to fill this out? And just do it to yourself. And I agree. It's a great idea. Why do I agree? Because it is. Especially if you buy it. If you buy what you just said and what feet that what special class feet he's going to pick then I totally buy it man I really do I just I do um, I don't I don't think he's monk like though if you pick monk then you I don't see him being a monk you know I mean this guy you know while we have while we haven't fleshed out what his family looked like he definitely had a wife right I mean suffered some loss a fiance maybe some kids who knows I mean, we, we, you didn't tell me that I'm just I can only go off with what you tell me so I don't see him as a monk but there are an awful lot of good choices and an awful lot of really good picks you, you'll have to find out which one you believe the most And now we come down to his feet. Now, this is where your Google search and your knowledge of rangers, and maybe you read up on Rogue, and maybe you read up on a couple of the classes. Maybe you really are looking forward to this and making more. Who knows? Let's stay at the task at hand. We'll finish this guy. He's going to be fun. So... What is the first step on his long journey here? That first feat. I used to say to new players, just pick toughness. Now, there is a, a, meta reason, a metagame reason why you wouldn't pick toughness anymore because of some of the changes they've made. But toughness is just a feat that gives you... It's like adding plus two to your constitution score. Okay? So it just gives you extra hit points. It's all, all it does. And you can take it, I think, up to three times. I think maybe even an infinite, infinite. I don't know. I haven't taken it in many years. They've changed the game a lot. So um, toughness is no longer a, a requisite. But there are a lot of choices. A lot of choices. And I think the, the, the best place to probably start... is thinking about his combat style. Now, rangers in Dungeons and & Dragons and in other versions of the 3.5 rule set, that's not... It's at the 3.5, I think the 3.5 Player's Handbook still has the animal pet and you have to choose a combat style. But there were at other... I don't think it was on Earth Arcane. I think it was other variants that... DDO uses a variant, and your variant, you're going to still get a pet, which is great, but you now have to, you now have to decide on, on a first feat, and you should know by reading the Dark Hunter screen there that hopefully 
DDO has familiarized you with what this class is. This class gets two weapon fighting and it gets um, the ranged combat feats for bows for free. And it, it advances at level 2, 6, 8, and 11, I think. 6, 8, and 11. And so you will be, you know, you get two up in fighting, improved two up in fighting, greater two up in fighting, and you get precise shot, improved precise shot, and um, many shot, or something, it's been a long time. <laughs> but you'll get, you'll get a succession of feats on both, on both those, those weapon tracks, which is great, because that kind of represents what this guy is, right? He's, he's a very deadly Swiss army knife, and he's handy in, in the woods. So you, you, you wouldn't want him to be hunting you, and then you wouldn't want to come upon him because he would just cut you to ribbons. And then you would never even know that he was the one that pulled, pulled back the arrow. So it's important that you know that those are, those are the two combat styles that, that the Dark Hunter is familiar with. And it, it just makes sense. There's not a whole lot of time to be carrying around a clanky shield. When you're sneaking in, you got to hide your weapons, maybe blend into a crowd because you're in an enemy city. Pick a lock, get in there, disable the trap. Steal whatever you're looking to steal. Pass it off to your buddy, and then you got to exit through the opposite side of town, and he's going to go west like he's going, you know, going to Disney World. And then you've got to get back into the woods, collect your gear, and make your way back home. So these types of weapon styles definitely befit our, our guy. But we still have to choose that feat. And there's a lot of choices. A lot of choices. And I'm not sure which skills you picked. So I'm not sure what what five senses he would be using. I know he's got a keen eye. And I know he makes good decisions. He's smart. So I imagine I imagine it'd be kinda of hard to hit. Not in an not in a you hit my armor kinda of way, but But maybe in like a dodgy kind of way, right? Like you just, he was there a second ago and you brought the axe down and he's gone. He's on the other side of you. The dangerous L move, they call it, right? He's always moving off the X and keeping his opponent off balance. So dodge is a good feat, right? That kind of makes sense, right? I know you're looking at the feat and you're looking at the number and you don't think the number is high enough. But trust me, this is Dungeons and Dragons we're playing. You gotta start somewhere and remember you're level one. Dodge is a good feat, but let's make the case for a point-blank shot. Point-blank shot. Point-blank shot. This guy is excellent. He's an excellent shot with the bow. And he doesn't put it down to the last second because he's so good. And if you get close to him, he knows where to put it. It's gonna. He's gonna separate bone and 
joint tissue. You are going to have a bad hip for the rest of your life if you get close to him. Because he knows where to put that arrow. Point blank shots. Interesting. Feet. Especially for a ranger. Because as your enemies get closer to you, you do more damage. This could be a good feat. It's interesting because with the ranger... At least for, for at least level one where we are now, both of these feats are extremely useful, right? At some point you're going to be using a bow, and then at some point you're going to be using two weapons, and you want to be missed if you're using two weapons, and if someone's closing in on you with the bow, you want to try to kill them as fast as you can before you pull out the two swords or whatever you're going to carry. Two axes, two picks, whatever he decides to carry. So either one of those are great. And I'll leave it up to you to decide. And don't think you're deciding between melee and range when you make that type of a decision. Because you're not. Because dodge is really a very, I hate to say androgynous, but it kind of is just a, a general defense feat. It's not anything uh, that is committing you to anything at all except to be dot, to miss, get missed. <laughs> That's all you're committing to is to not commit to getting attacked. So that's a good feat. That's a great choice for someone that maybe is indecisive. Because point blank shot is someone that they might want to use the bow a lot. And I'm going to tell you that you're jumping into a game you don't know anything about. And if you want to use the bow like that, you can. But you should take that feat. And you should still remember that you carry two weapons. You are a ranger and you have those feats for a reason. So make sure you remember that. So armed with dodge, because you couldn't decide, I picked. No, 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 you can put point blank shot and it's not too late. You can hit the back button and take the take dodge out and put in point blank shot, that's fine. So, oh, you put the dodge back in? It's okay. Go with dodge then. Dodge is fine. Dodge is a good feat. Dodge, my friend. Dodge is a very, very good feat. It's a foundational feat, and it's a, one of the reasons why I picked it. It's also a great roleplay feat, and it's something that you can articulate. So now we've got the feat done. We hit next. The matter of alignment should already be picked, I think. And that's something that you're going to have to decide for yourself. But alignment is extremely important. Some people will tell you they want to throw it out the window and it shouldn't come to bear for class requirements. And there's an argument to be made for that. But it's not good to dismiss it out of hand because your alignment is going to dictate, and it doesn't have to be in a dictatorial way, but it is going to dictate how your character perceives, interacts, and understands the world he sees. And that's important for you to distinguish that this particular thing, this alignment choice, is going to separate you from your character probably. Probably. 
because if we were to rewind the clock and talk about our apostate paladin and I hate to say that because the game actually has a dark apostate cleric but our heretical paladin right so if we had that heretical paladin he would have to be lawful good but you can't think of it as lawful good because he's not right he's a he's probably lawful evil and so let's say he is lawful evil but it's lawful good for the game and we are just going to advance him in the most dastardly way we can and probably well we're going to make him as as dark as we can because that's what he is he's a dark guy the reason why I pick the heretical paladin and, and even though we have to pretend between us you and me we have to pretend that lawful good is lawful evil because I know you're not lawful evil because Hitler was lawful evil and you're not him I know it's a harsh example but it's the truth right I mean the guy was he was the leader of a country and he was the rule maker of the country so when they perpetrated the Holocaust his soldiers didn't feel like they were breaking the law. Now, they must have known in their hearts it was wrong. And that's a deeper discussion for another time. But you see how just that one nugget, how he sees the world like that. Now, if you have a paladin that sees the world like that, and he's a smaller scale, he's not full-blown like that yet, right? But he's going to make choices that you're not going to be comfortable with as a player. And, and, and you're piloting this guy. Now, these can be very fun characters to play, not lawful evil, because a lot of times lawful evil turns into like a PvP situation where your dungeon master kills the evil character, <laughs> and it doesn't become a PvP thing. Because the whole point of the the whole point of Dungeons and Dragons is to kind of explore a world together and and overcome conflict together. And sometimes it's internal, but it shouldn't be intentional and malice filled because then that sours the table and players. And if you don't think it does, I've seen it happen. So I'm sure there's a way to play it good, but generally the dungeon master does it best. So it's important to keep that in mind. And if he's chaotic neutral, he's going to still make decisions that are highly questionable. A character that's chaotic neutral might be okay with torture. Torturing a bad guy to get what he wants. So now, you might think, oh yeah, well, you know, Han Solo killed Greedo in cold blood who shot first, right? I mean, you might think that's chaotic neutral. And it's okay for your alignment to shift and your character to grow. That's part of the fun of the game is growing your character not only in a number way, but as he grows in a number way, maybe his outlook changes. So, think about your alignment carefully. Don't put too much stock into it because DDO does little to push your alignment choice. 
But I, I think if this is your first time and you're a new player, you should pick the alignment that most suits your character and most suits, most suits his worldview. And if you don't know what chaotic good means, then just Google it. Read up on them. They're very important because they give characters motivations and conflict. You know, their belief systems and their belief structures, that's what, that's what keeps them in conflict with the world. So it's important to pick the one that most matches your idea that your character has. And, and this ranger could be chaotic neutral. He, he's, you know, maybe he wasn't when he started in the last war, but maybe he is now. You know, maybe this journey is going to find his way back to chaotic good. I don't know. That'll be for you to decide. It's your character after all. So there you have it. We've picked his alignment. Now we got to come up with a name. Oh boy. There's all kinds of ways to come up with names. You could just come up with something that sounds cool. Like Rizvane, Rip, Rip Vane. You could say, I'm just saying, you know, I'm just making cool sounds with my mouth. I'm not, I don't know if those are words. <laughs> I'm just making, making cool sounds. So you, I generally will look up several different languages, cool words, and you know, you know, you'll look up Wolf and you'll like look it up in a bunch of languages and you'll find Fenrir a bunch of different ways and you'll be like, oh man. I knew that before you said that because I'm already nerdy, and that's fine because I knew that too. But you know, you'll you'll look up Moon, right? And you'll look that up in different languages. And maybe that's his last name. Moon is a great last name. Uh, a lunar. You know, you could look a translation up that would seem Elvish and use that as his last name. So Moon Lunar. That seems right. It means a dark hunter, right? So that kind of seems right. And then you need um, a first name. We want something cool, right? Moon Hunter, Moon Killer, Moon Blade, Moon Avatar, Moon Knight. No, I'm just kidding. But you, 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 you Moon, Moon will be his surname, right? Moon will be his last name. But we want something cool, though, right? We want something cool. What about Sorrow? Sorrow is a good word for him, right? He is sad. He's been through a lot. And he's lived a sorrowful life, at least much, as much as we know about it up till now. That might be a cool word to find in a different language. And, and he'll be the sorrowful moon. But the world needs all kinds of people to make a tick. And just because you're in one place one day doesn't mean you'll be there the next. So Sorrowful Moon, and you just find a language you like, Latin, Greek, those are always good. Spanish, you got to be careful because I think you're going to find a lot of those words very familiar to you, even if you don't speak Spanish. Japanese, Chinese, Swahili, you know, you know any, just pick one, pick, go to Google Translate and Pick the two names, and then if somebody else has the name, say, you know, just change a letter to a Z or an R. Make it sound cool, right? I mean, it's still going to mean sorrow. You still know what it means. And then you hit the create button, and you you board that ship. You leave Sean behind, 
or maybe you're boarding that ship and you're going somewhere else on Stormreach. You're going to your first job. And you wake up to the sound of a voice asking if you're okay. You're cold, you're wet, and there's some little halfling annoying the crap out of you. Chaotic neutral, and you can't help but think of taking his knife from him and maybe cutting his leather off and throwing him in the water to see if he wants to wake up. You're fine, you say. You're fine. And then off your adventure begins, right? I mean, that's welcome to DDO. That is how I like to make my characters. Especially in the beginning, I, I love to do that. I had a ranger that was <laughs> that was bald, and one of my um, one of my friends, his little brother, asked me why he was bald. At first, he said, "Why is his eyes so yellow?" Because he had like a hunter yellow type eyes. And I said, "It's a, it's kind of a, it's an adapted thing from him being in the dark all the time, hunting people." Well, why is he bald? The kid, little kid, says. And I said, "Well, because he want to leave his DNA at the crime scene." <laughs> You know, I get a little chuckle out of that, but it's true. You know, his, he was a practical elf, and he didn't want to leave any trace, pass without trace. So, this is my episode today. I was pretty passionate about it. I thought it was a good idea. I don't know how veterans feel about it, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you how veterans make builds or how people make meta builds. I can start a whole series about that, and we can talk about what the rules mean and how to grow your character by numbers, and we can talk about that but I really the whole point the whole selling point to Dungeons and Dragons Online the thing that makes this game so great is the conversation we just had we literally a few lore points created a character in a, in a granted in a fictional computer generated world but we, had num- we assigned numbers we simulated his existence by telling a story. We simulated his... We created him that way. And and I really... If you haven't created a character that way, made a character that way, you know, you should try it. It's a lot of fun. Inevitably, you'll become a veteran. A grisly old veteran. Who knows way too much. But you know what else? Knowing is okay. Because that just means you can plot the story that much further along. So there are benefits to knowing, but there are benefits to not knowing. And I, I think if you're a new player, my friends, this is how you should build your character. And eh, the first few. At some point, you're gonna you're gonna want to mess with the numbers and make a great character. But I promise you, if you start building them this way. Your instinct, when you go to create your meta character that you, you've played through the game once or twice, right? And you're like, oh, I always wanted to be that heretical paladin. Now's my chance. I know where to get this piece of loot. I have this piece of loot, right? So you're going to get there, but you're not going to think about just the numbers. You're going to automatically, instinctually, 
want to figure out how he came into possession of this powerful item at level one. You know, and at first, because you're maybe you've never played a tabletop game like this before, so at first it's just gonna be like, well, his buddy the Dark Hunter left it for him, <laughs> and, and that, but that's a great hook, right? I mean, we came up with both characters, and they're both friends. Then maybe the fact that the guy's actually heretical, lawful evil, maybe he disguises that. You know, and the Dark Hunter finds that out later, and that's kind of the trigger that makes him chaotic good. Because he knows the path he's walking is dark. I don't know. I mean, just saying, these are the kinds of things that I just, I really wish, you can't advertise this kind of character creation. People would just not, I don't think you can put it in a 30-second snippet, 15-second snippet, five, I can't, you just, it's something you talk about, you know, it's something you get, you know, and I'm used to doing that, going to a table and talking to my friends about, hey, how are we going to handle this adventure, guys? What do you? What character you want to be? Well, this is the character idea I have. And so we talk about them. And DDO is a game where you can do that, guys. You can make your character this way and be successful. You don't have to do it this way. This isn't the right way to do it. This isn't the best way to do it. This is just a way to do it. And I think it's important to do it this way because DDO is the only game online MMO that you can do this in. It is the only one. I've tried all of them. <laughs> it's the only one that allows you to make whatever you want. Play whatever you want. There are limitations. You can make wrong choices and create a bad character and have a bad experience. But I suggested already that you read that player handbook you should read it. You can find uh, Google or a PDF. I would not recommend going to YouTube and looking up videos. It's tempting. It's easy. It's the easy way. You know, what did they say about the dark side? Easy is the way that... I'd recommend reading about it. You want to ignite those synapses in your brain that create the theater of the mind. The video game itself, once you get in there, you'll be a lot more immersed and sucked into the whole thing if, if, if you do it this kind of this way I'm suggesting. I th also think that if you read it, you're more likely to remember it. And you might argue, well, I'm more likely to fall asleep. Well, that's great, because then you probably, if you're reading and you're falling asleep, then you need to read more, because your, 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 your reading muscle is, gets tired very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Just like lifting weights, you know, you can't go up in there and go in the gym and expect to, you know, bench press 350 pounds right off the bat, right? You'd get pretty tired pretty quick. Same thing with books and reading. And this is a, there's a reason why people thought that Dungeons and Dragons was for nerdy kids, because I would highly recommend that you read, you know, the player handbook and the, you know, about stats and about the ranger and maybe the 3.5 Dark Hunter, you know, just read about stuff like that and then get into the game and, and do what we did today just just do what we did you know have an idea and, and just follow it to the end I that's all I really I was very excited to do this episode this is something I I think at the heart of what DDO is and the veterans know what I'm talking about 
when I say true reincarnation, but the replayability this game has for you new people is, I'm telling you guys, it's incredible. And, and you're not going to be able to have this experience again when you make that first character. You will have similar experiences. You may go a couple years playing DDO and not be able to make the, the first couple of characters like you did. And then one day, something's going to happen. You'll watch a TV show. You'll see a movie. And you'll be like, oh, but if I was in that guy's shoes, I would have done this, this, and this, and I would have ended up like this. And that's my new DDO character. You're just gonna, and you're gonna be all of a sudden, you're gonna have this whole new. You're like, I, I, you know, I hate wizards, but all of a sudden now you're like, Mister Wizard. You know all about wizards, and I'm, it happens. I've seen it happen with guys, and it's fun. It doesn't happen as much anymore because I don't have as many friends in the game anymore. But it is, um, it's a really fun game, and the creators are passionate about it, and they. Um, you know, they, they when they come up with ideas, they think of them in this way, you know. And even some of these meta guys on Twitch and stuff, I've, I've spent some time watching them. And a lot of them know a lot about the lore of DDO. And why certain quest mechanics work certain ways, which I find extremely interesting because a lot of them don't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons of pen and paper. But they know everything about, they, they've kind of done it backwards, you know, they... They have yet to quite build the, the story character, but they can build great meta characters. And I'll, let me leave you with this thought about character creation, numbers, and the metagame. You've heard this, I'm sure, if you've played other video games and watched other YouTube videos. I'm sure you've heard something similar to this. But I'm going to tell you this. In a more heartfelt way, Dungeons and Dragons is a game that stays with you. The game, the tabletop game, is a game that you'll have memories. There's a great meme online where it says there's two lines and two separate pictures. And one says, this is how I remember it. And then the other one says, this is what happened. This is what it looked like. And you know, one of them has a graph paper and like a six-sided die on it. And then the other one has this great battle scene from Camelot, right? The movie Camelot, King Arthur and the Knights. So, take care and use that that kind of dichotomy to know that this game has limits. It has upper limits with numbers and lower limits with numbers. But the numbers are there to help you represent the character you're creating. And in any iteration of Dungeons & Dragons, there's always been... Dude, I know them. Literally, like, the dudes with the glasses with the tape. And they know all the freaking rules. And they bought all the extra books. And they read all the dragon magazines and they can recite everything to you and they make the biggest, baddest number character you can imagine that's immune to everything. Now, in a, in, in, in a tabletop game, the Dungeon Master would just say no. Just say no. This will. Or they'll let it happen and then they're going to whittle away at the character until the guy literally gets personally upset 
and personally offended and either commits to playing something less less meta, less overpowered, or leaves the table. And DDO standing stone games does they don't have that option. They have to let they have to accommodate as many players as they can. And it is true that there's um, a great faction of players that are constantly consumed by eking out the most damage they can. And these players get some kind of validation and enjoyment from playing the game this way. I have been very guilty of doing this in many different types of games my whole life. And maybe you have too. I was talking with a guy the other day. We're talking about builds. I've got this podcast and I want to bring a guest on it and I want to talk about builds. And I'd love to talk about builds, not from just a meta standpoint, but from how you make, you know, kind of de-engineer a meta character to make story characters and make them viable, you know, at any game. So that would be, I've been talking to many different people in the game and around the internet about character building. And I remember, I don't remember exactly the the, um, abilities we were talking about, but I do remember that it had to do with, well, if you take this particular, I'm not going to get into details, but say if you, you take this, choose this particular enhancement, and we come across a group of enemies, and I have this enhancement, I'm going to kill if I'm going to kill it two seconds faster than you. That's what he says to me. And then he goes on to say, if the fight lasts, you know, five seconds, then you'll do better damage numbers than me. But it has to last five seconds. Do you, do you want to be, do you want your DDO experience governed by that kind of horse crap? Because essentially what the guy just said was when he had the conversation is that both enhancements I pick, either one, they'll both work. They'll both kill whatever I'm going to to face. They're both excellent choices. But one does it two seconds faster. I mean, really? Come on. You want to be, you want to think about your character that way? I don't, I don't want to think about it. You, you really shouldn't. Leave that to the people that get consumed by it, man. It's a, it's a thing that can consume you. Um, you know, DDO is a community. And it, um, you know, at one point um, early in its life, there were a lot of elitists around. And um, most of those people are gone now, which is good. But we still have a very vibrant, I wouldn't even say theorycraft community. I would just say, meta community people that know what's broken what's not broken and what i mean when i say broken i mean they know what's broken like what's not working as intended and they can double up damage triple up damage so don't don't sweat people you know and there and don't think that every character that you run across it's does phenomenally well is is cheating or somehow knows something about enhancements that you don't because the reality is if you play this game long enough you are just going to get that powerful i promise you but I really would 
caution you against learning the game that way. I would promote learning it from the lore standpoint and building that character and just enjoying being in Stormreach. It's a dangerous place. And you're going to learn, you're going to come close to death. You're, you might even die. And if you're playing on the hardcore server, that's it. <laughs> so, right. I'm trying to think if there's any other finishing thoughts I wanted to say as far as the as far as that goes but don't I hope that example about the two second thing is is clear and um, you know you're gonna find that on the XP sheet for the quests there'll be kill counters and and who gets the most kills but let me tell you something my friend there's no DPS meter in there and anybody that's played WoW or other MMOs that gauge that stuff know how important that is um, to, to measuring class um, uh, meta, you know, the, the, um, organizing the meta. And I don't even know if we have the ability to have damage uh, calculators in DDO or DPS meters, but don't worry about that stuff. The great thing about DDO is that it is a Dungeons and Dragons game. And you can make your imagination come alive here. And that's what I want you to take away from this podcast, this conversation, and the character creation system that DDO offers. Your imagination can come alive. And that's how I want to think of DDO, and that's how I, that's how I play it. And, and when you get into the game and you make some friends... Uh, you want to raid. You want to do all the fun stuff in the game. And you want to do it. Yeah, do it. Do it. And every so often, consider how uh, Sorrowful Moon feels. Every so often. Because only you know what he's been through. Maybe someday you'll get to share that. Anyways... I think that's all I have. I'm real, real passionate about DDO, and I'm real passionate about this particular topic in DDO because it really is the only game, online game like this, that you can have a conversation like we just had, back and forth, spitballing this idea, coming up with two separate characters, and then not only that, we passed off loot from one guy to the next guy to start. And you know, I mean, that is cool. That is just cool. You can't do that in any other game, man. You're not going to be able to, you know, live some other life with this one character, and and you know what? You know, this guy was his friend, and you know, before he left on his journey, he left this for him and said, "Hey, good luck. Watch your back. They're coming for you." That's how we got that shield. That's how we got that sword. You know, so just you know, just that's a cool game. That's way better. That's a, such a great game, man. Don't get hung up on <laughs> this ability kills this thing two seconds faster. Let the other guy have the kill, man. You know, if that's what he's here for, let him do it. You know, let him do it. It's, it's, this game is way too much fun to get hung up on stuff like that. Enjoy building this character. Enjoy learning about the world and and all the cool stuff that the developers have put in here for us to enjoy. Maybe buy a novel if you, if the people still buy those. I don't know if they do. Keith Baker's got a couple. There's actually a really cool one about a, 
some kind of I can't remember some kind of like vigilante. He's like a spy for Inshorn, and it's really cool. He's kind of like a detective too. It's a good. I forget the name of the book. There's three of them. Anyways, that's it for this episode, guys. I hope you hope you enjoyed it. I hope the, the I did a little bit different thing with the audio, so I hope it comes out okay. But I um I enjoyed talking with you about it, and I hope that uh, if you're a veteran player and and this interests you, I hope that you give it a shot and maybe give it a shot with your your buddies on hardcore or just your next life, you know, in your TR. Or maybe you have and you know you just haven't you haven't had a chance to share or to think about or experience those thoughts and I hope this conversation you know kind of ignited those fires of imagination in you because that's what's so great about Dungeons and Dragons alright guys until next time my friends